the flagship yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, the Harvard of yeshivas, is Panovich. Panovich is the yeshiva that sits atop a hill in Bnei Brak, and it was led by such brilliant, charismatic, passionate Tamid Chachamim, Gedaili Adar, Rav Shmuel Rizovsky, and Rav Shach, Rav David Pravarsky, and many, many others, Mashkichem, such as Rav Dessler, and Rav Chatzkel, Rav Friedlander, But the founder of the Panovich Yeshiva to whom all the credit is due for all the Torah of the thousands and thousands of Talmidim and those Talmidim many of them became Rashi Yeshivas throughout the world Rabbonim, Dayanim, Paiskim who themselves had many many Talmidim all of that schus accrues to one man, the Panevich Rav. The Panevich Rav of Yosef, Shlomo, Kahaneman, Zechitadik Levracha, was a Rav in the city of Panevich before the war. He headed the yeshiva there, he started orphanages there, Beis Yaakov's there. It was a very prominent position that he held and he managed somehow to escape from the Nazis and he made it to the shores of Eretz Yisrael. In the meantime, his entire community was wiped out, was decimated during the war and he made it his life's vision, his life's dream to replant what was lost in his city of Panovich. And it was right at the most dangerous time in the history of, of Eretz Yisrael throughout the war. It was a time when Ramel Yemachshemai, who was the general, one of the great generals, if you can use that word, a vicious general, but a, but a brilliant strategist who won many, many wars. He was undefeated. And he had his troops lined up <coughs> in North Africa and they were heading straight to Eretz Yisrael. And everybody in Eretz Yisrael were petrified the Arabs, Yemach Shemam in Eretz Yisrael, they were making marks on the Jewish homes throughout Eretz Yisrael, saying that after the Nazis come in, this house is mine and that house is yours. They were already splitting up the, the spoils of war before the war even began. And the Yidden understandably were petrified, because if you can imagine what the Nazis did in Europe, and bring that to Eretz Yisrael, that would have been an unthinkable calamity to Klai Yisrael. 
just at that moment in time when the entire Eretz Yisrael was really on the brink of disaster, of doom this man of Kahneman he went with this piece of land that he had bought and he invited the Eilam and Bnei Brak and beyond to a Chanukas Habayis not really a Chanukas Habayis but it was really a Hanukas Eben Apino it was a corner lo- cornerstone laying ceremony for the cornerstone laying of the Panevich Yeshiva to be built and he had a large gathering the Chazanish was there and many of the G'dayleir Yisrael came along with many people from Bnei Brak and Rav Kahneman was speaking and he was telling his vision about how hundreds and hundreds of Bnei Taira will be learning in the Beis Medrash once it's built and there's going to be a Kailo and there's going to be a, uh, a high school, a Masifta and it's going to be Taira like it was in Europe without any distractions just pure Taira Lishma on the highest level and we're going to hire the greatest Rosh Yeshivas. And he was just laying out this grand vision. And what was going through everybody's mind is that this is ridiculous. How is he doing this? How does he believe so strongly in this vision that most probably will not even happen? Most probably, Alpidera Chateva Rama will enter with his tanks, with his battalions, with his troops bulldoze his way straight through Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim, Bnei Brak, Haifa. They're all going to have Achmanolitzan swastikas flying over the over the major cities of Eretz Yisrael, Achmanolitzan. And yet this man at this very moment is able to plan building Tyra, forget about survival, but building and expanding Tyra and actually creating something that up until that point was really not in Eretz Yisrael and somebody worked up the courage to ask the Panamichirov this this Tmiah that everybody had this person said to the Panamichirov in front of everybody Panamichirov you must be dreaming you must be dreaming this is like a fantasy you're having right you must be dreaming and the Panavichirov gave one of the most famous answers when he said, Yes, I am a dreamer. But unlike other dreamers, I don't sleep. There are dreams that people have when they sleep, and then there are dreams that people have when they're awake. The Panavichirov teaches us that a person in life must always dream you can never not dream in life even in the worst of circumstances even when things seem the most dour the most depressing when all the odds are stacked against you you're still always obligated to dream there's a Gemara in Brachis and that Yudalad Amin Aleph my father, Ola B'Shalom, used to always tell me this shot in this Gemara. We heard from one of his rabbis, my father's yard by the way, is tonight. 
So this, whatever we're saying, any Hisaira should be Lezeich and Nishmasai, Achavar of Tzvi, and Achavar of Meisha Levi. The Gemara Brache says, Halon Sheva, Beloich Halayim, Nikra Chayte. If a person sleeps for seven nights and he doesn't have a dream, he's called a sinner. And all the Mepharshim ask, what, that's such an avla? You have a dream, and a dream is not something that's conscience. I, conscious, I can't determine whether or not I'll have a dream when I go to sleep at night. What does that mean? If I go to sleep for seven days, and I don't have a dream, then I'm a chayte, I'm a rasha, what, how can you call me that? And my father used to say that the pshat is, based on something that he heard from his rabbi, it doesn't mean the dreams that we have when we're asleep it means the dreams that we have when we're awake if you lie down seven nights and before you fall asleep you don't dream you don't have an aspiration before your eyes you're not animated by something you're not excited about something in your future that you're planning a special a special thing that you and only you are devising, a plan, a strategy, a mochama, a good mochama. That's a chayte. That's a sin. A person was put on this world not to rest on his laurels and not to be mediocre. Every person has to have their personal dream. You have to dream you have to dream big and then you have to set out to accomplish that dream one of my heroes was an individual by the name of Reb Shlema Freifeld Reb Shlema Freifeld was a Roshiva in Sharyashiv and I always felt bad that I don't think I ever met him even though I grew up in Long Beach and he lived in Farakaway it would have been it's right over the Atlantic Beach Bridge it would not have been a long journey but like a lot of things you don't do when you're young Reb Shlomo Freifeld was one of the G'daylim in terms of Kirov he was one of the pioneers if not the pioneer in really starting this amazing Balchuva movement and that's how Sharyasha began. It began with very simple beginnings. And if you want to even remotely consider going into Chinuch, it doesn't have to be as a formal profession, but just being Makarid people informally, formally, being a Rebbe and a passionate, inspirational one, you must read <coughs> the biography that was written about his life called Reb Shlema. It's a life-altering biography. And in that biography, it tells a story about one of Reb Shlema Freifeld's Rabbeim. He had a Rebbe by the name of Reb Tlushkin. And Reb Tlushkin was a brilliant Rav. I think he lived in, uh, in East New York, if I'm not mistaken. And that's with the shul that Rav Shlema grew up in. He considered him one of his formative rabbeim. And then eventually he became a Talmud Mubak by Rabbi Yitzhak Hutner. 
And in Reb Shleim used to quote this Reb Telushkin. And he used to say, Reb Telushkin, that he had such regrets because one time he visited the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe was talking to him and sort of he wasn't expecting this question, Reb Telushkin. And the Rebbe asked him, Reb Telushkin, let's say I gave you a million dollars. What would you do with it for Klal Yisrael? Now, a million dollars today is not really a lot of money, believe it or not. You can barely buy a house in Kigar Nils anymore for a million dollars. But in those days, it was real money, a million dollars. And so let's call it ten million dollars. What would you do if I gave you ten million dollars? What would you do for Klal Yisrael? What's your dream? What's your dream that the only thing stopping you is money? And Rav Tulishkin was caught off guard. And he was like stammering and stuttering and stumbling over his words. And uh, 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 uh. He didn't have anything to say. He didn't have, it wasn't Mechudad Mbefiv, it wasn't Vishinantam. He didn't have a clear-cut answer to the Rebbe when he asked him, what would you do with a million dollars? And the Rebbe, I guess, sort of like, you know, dismissed him. And he said, my whole life I felt so bad that I didn't have an answer to that question. Every year should have an answer to that question. There are so many things that a person should want to do. Yeah, money is a big problem in life. Money is one of those things that get into the get in the way of a lot of ambitions, a lot of projects, a lot of organizations, a lot of yeshivas, a lot of chesed. But let's say it wasn't an issue. Let's say money was no object. You have to have a vision. You have to have a plan. You have to have something that you're dreaming about. What would you like to do for Klal Yisrael? Kirov, kids at risk. Chesed, Taimchei Shabbos, Chaverim, Hatzala, something. Build a new yeshiva, a new cheder, a new Beis Yaakov, a new mikvah, a new soup kitchen. What's your dream? Halon Sheva If you're going to bed at night and you don't have this vision, you don't have something that's making your heart beat a little quicker because you have a dream of something that you want to accomplish in your life, you're a chayte. You have to have a vision. You always have to have something that you want to do, your special thing. It might be writing a sefer. It might be giving a chabura. It might be achnas' kala. It might be having a family having children raising them properly but you have to have some dream it doesn't have to be the Panamitcharov scale but it has to have some depth and it has to excite you if you're not dreaming you're not going to accomplish anything in life even if you are dreaming you might not accomplish something but you'll accomplish something 
It might not be what you thought you were going to accomplish, but at least if you have something, you set the bar high enough, you will strive for something, and that will make you accomplish a whole lot more than you would had you not have a dream, had a dream. The altar of Sabatka, Hashem Yipivanu Chaim. The altar of Sabatka used to say that all my life, my vision, my hero, my role model was the Vilna Gain. Now the Vilna Gain is a pretty high bar to set. The Vilna Gain was somebody that was a Gain in Nigla Nista, who was a Bucky in Kala not only Kala but all the Chachmei Sa'ilam. He was a Bucky in science, he was a Bucky in physics, in geometry, in trigonometry, he wrote a safer on trigonometry. He was a Bucky in music, in the science behind music. He was a Bucky in poetry. And all of the all the chachmas of the world, all the seven branches of wisdom that the world contains, he was an expert in all of them. So to set your goals to be the Vilna Gain, that's like an impossible dream. This was the dream, this was the bar that the altar from Sabatka set. And Besaif Yamav, at the end of his life, he said, I wasn't successful in becoming the Vilna Gain. I tried. But I was not able to be the Vilna Gain. But, had I not tried to be, be the Vilna Gain, I wouldn't be who I was today. The only reason why I'm able to be the Altaf and Sabatka, which isn't too shabby either, the Altaf and Sabatka was Rosh Hashiva of Rav Aaron Cutler, of Rav Hutner, of Rav Ruderman, of Rav David Leibowitz, of of so many G'dayla Yisrael, the Sri Deish, and the list goes on and on. The Rashiva of the Mir, all the Yeshivas, all the major Yeshivas of the world today, of Shach, they all came from the altar from Sabbath, they were all Tamid of the altar. The altar said the only reason why I was able to become the altar was because I set the bar to the Vilna Gaim. If I would have set the bar lower, I wouldn't have been who I was today. A person has to set his standards and his aspirations high. Perhaps doably high, not impossibly high, because then it's not going to even start. But set your vision high. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't go through your life just happy to, to live nine to five and to come home and to kick the dog and go to sleep. A person is not created to have no vision, to be just a person that schleps along through life. A person has to have a dream. The dream doesn't have to be that you're a Shiva. It could be that you're an accountant, that you're a lawyer, that you're a doctor, that you're a, you're a dentist. But you have to do whatever you're doing so passionately that you're lighting a fire for others. And that you're showing how a Yid acts under all circumstances. And you're shooting for a, a goal that's so high that even you can't believe that it's possible, but yet you accomplish that.
You have to remember the dreams that you had. A lot of times we have dreams in life and we forget about them. Or miyayish over them. We say, ah, you know, that dream, it's impossible. Can't do it. A person never should be miyayish on his dreams. If you have a dream in life, remember it, write it down. And you might not be able to do it right now because you're young and you're doing a lot of groundwork right now. You're setting the foundations of your life through your learning and through your studies and through doing exactly what you're doing and doing it well. You're doing what you're supposed to right now. But the dreams that you have, don't abandon them. Remember them, hone them, and carry them with you until the day that you're ready to do them. Now, the, the extension of this is that sometimes your friend has a dream. And sometimes your friend's dreams seem silly to you. And so, maybe you think that you're doing a mitzvah, or maybe you don't, but you make fun of your friend's dreams. And you laugh at him. There's no bigger chayte than that. Just like if you have a dream, if you go to sleep and you don't dream, you're a chayte. You're a double chayte if your friend does have a dream and you make fun of it. I saw an amazing, frightening story about the great Rav Meir Shapiro. Rameh Shapiro was one of those other great leaders that Klai Yisrael had, one of those visionary builders in the, in the group of the Panavichirov. And Rameh Shapiro was a highly charismatic person, a brilliant man, a huge Talmud Chacham, a Rav in the city of Lublin. He was the Aguda. Agudas Yisrael's representative in the Polish parliament because he was such an amazing speaker. And then, of course, he built the famous Yeshivas Chachmi Lublin, which still stands today. Maybe some of you may have visited it if you had went to, gone to Poland ever on one of the trips that they take there. It still stands, that Yeshiva. For a while it was a, a, a medical school of some sort, and now the Jewish community took it back. I think they converted it into a hotel now. But the base Medrash was re- recreated and you could see it in its full former glory. It was a beautiful, beautiful building. And he raised millions of dollars. He went all over the world, including America, to raise the money. And he built it. And he accomplished that dream. And then, of course, the dream that remains till today his other jewel was the Dafyaimi. Dafyaimi was his vision. And in 1923, there was a Knesia Gedaila in Vienna, one of the great conventions. And Maria Shapiro told the, the group of Balabatim that were in charge of 
organizing this Knesia that I want to present an idea to the assembled crowd. And he told them what it was. He said, my idea is, we're going to start Rosh Hashanah. It was just the, the anniversary of the beginning of the Dafa every Rosh Hashanah. We're going to start Brachas Daf Beis on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And every day, Klal Yisrael, wherever you go in the world, they're going to be learning the same Daf of Gemara. One Daf after another Daf, and we're going to finish Masechta after Masechta. And if a Yid travels from, from Vilna to Prague, in Prague, he'll be able to find the Dafyei Mishir. If he takes a boat and he comes to New York, he'll be able to join up with the Dafyei Mishir there. And that was the vision. That was basically the summary of his vision. He was going to present this at this session in the, uh, at the Aguda Convention in Vienna. And this committee said, uh-uh. This is a horrible idea. It's an idea that's doomed to fail. No one's going to do it. It's ridiculous. And we're not going to do it. He says, no, I insist. We're going to do it. He says, no, we're not going to do it. And um, and he pushed it through. They said, fine, you could do it, but we have no, we have nothing to do with it. We're going to sort of make an introduction before your speech that this is this guy's idea. It's not our idea. We have no, we have no fingerprints on this idea. He wanted to do it. We don't know exactly if it's a good idea, bad idea. Anyway, he got up and he said it. And the Chazani, the, the Chavitz Chaim was sitting on the dais, and the story goes the Chavitz Chaim was overheard saying to himself as Rameir Shapir was presenting this idea, Ay of Yisrael, Mayor, why didn't you think of this? And that Rosh Hashanah, 1923, Yidden all over, including the Ger Rebbe, took a brachas off the shelf, and Rosh Hashanah was not, I, I would not have chosen Rosh Hashanah to be the starting day of the Dafyemi. I couldn't even give a Daf on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. It's an exhausting day, but this is when Hashkacha would have it that that the Daf started, and it's been going ever since stronger and stronger with every or every cycle. It just grows and it snowballs. And it gives Yidin all over the world a unity through Tyra. So Rameir Shapiro was once coming off a train at a certain train station and Jews knew when he was coming off apparently and they all wanted to catch a glimpse of him. And so there were crowds by every train station that he would get off of because he was, he was a very young man. He wasn't, when he died, you think he was in his 40s. He was very, very young but he accomplished so much in such a short amount of time. Hmm. Hmm. 45, 46, 46. And he accomplished so much. And he was such like a, a he had like hero status in Klai Yisrael. Between the Yeshivas Chachmi Lublin and the Daf Yaimi, he was, he, was, he was literally a hero. And people adored him. Wherever he would go, wherever he would speak, he had these beautiful Verloch that are assembled, many of them in a Sefer that he put out called Ara Meir. And um, brilliant, brilliant Veritloch. I've said many of them at, at Titian, as a matter of fact, because they're so powerful. So Mayor Shapiro got off at a certain train stop, and there was a crowd of people. And one of the people came over to him and introduced himself as the son-in-law of the Shatzerov. 
Shatz Rav was the Rav of the city of Shatz. And this was a special place for Rameyar Shapiro because he grew up in Shatz. That's the city that Rameyar Shapiro grew up in. So, and this person's father-in-law was Rameyar Shapiro's Rav and Rebbe, and they learned together. So Rameyar Shapiro, after engaging in conversation with this son-in-law of his Rebbe, asked a strange question to this son-in-law. And the question was, is your Rebetzin here? You want to speak to my Rebetzin? Romeo Shapiro wants to speak to my Rebetzin? If you wouldn't mind. So, he says, sure, she's here. And he calls her over. And Romeo Shapiro starts to talk to her. And he says, says to her, do you remember I spent so much time in your house when I was a Bachar and I was learning with your father and your father taught me so much tiring. She says, of course, we remember so well. He says, do you remember we used to play together also, me and you and your, si- your siblings and maybe some, some friends. We all used to play together on, on Shabbos, Shabbos afternoon. She says, yeah, of course. Those are the good old days. He says, and then his face turns serious. Do you remember that I used to talk to your father and I used to talk to everybody in the house even you and your and your siblings I used to talk about this dream that I had this vision that I had as a child already to start the Dafayaymi and I talked about the Dafayaymi and that was my dream that was what my goal was in life and do you remember he said to her that you used to make fun of me and used to say the Dachayayna. You would make fun of me. Instead of Dafyaymi, you would start saying, huh, you're going to make the Dachayayna. It doesn't mean anything. Just I looked up what the word Dach means. I, I don't know, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but you're, you're doing the Dachayayna. And everybody would laugh and laugh and laugh. He says, I want you to know something. You made me very upset by saying that to me. And you made me question my own dream. And I came very close to forgetting about my dream because you said that. And I'm here to tell you, never make fun of the dreams of a child. It's such a dangerous thing. Sometimes people confide in us and they say, Oh, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna be a big rav someday. I'm gonna be a huge Tamil Chacham. And you laugh. And you start making fun of the guy you have rights. First first learn how to make a laning on Chumash Rashi before you start becoming the guy in Ilam. And you know what you do when you say that to somebody, you you sort of take all of the wind out of their sails. Let a person have their dreams. Build a person up. If a person has a dream, encourage their dreams. Stabilize their dreams. Allow them to dream. Just like you want somebody to allow you to dream, allow other people to dream. If a person says that he wants to 
start an organization, encourage it. He wants to get married. Don't say, yeah, right, you're going to do this, how are you going to do that, you're not ready. Let him have his dreams. How do you know when you're cynical about other people's dreams? When you're saying to somebody, the dachayayna, how do you know the dreams that you might have crushed, that you might have extinguished with a few words? Lashon isn't only about people. Lashon is about ideas, about concepts, about visions. You know that we're living right now, we're sitting right now in a dream? Dr. Lander, was one of those visionaries also. When I first was offered this position as mashkiach in the yeshiva going back about 14-15 years ago. I met with Dr. Lander in our Chaim's offices together with Rabbi Lander and we were discussing exactly what the position entails and the Seder Ayayim and exactly what my responsibilities would be. And then I drove Dr. Lander home afterwards to to Forest Hills where he lived. And we were sitting in the car together outside his home for a very long time. And he told me, because he saw that I was a little bit reluctant, thank you, I was a little reluctant about the position. I was, I had a different position somewhere else and I was very happy there and I was, it was a... Yeshiva was very shvach at the time. There were only maybe 30, 40 boys at the time, and uh, it wasn't even clear if it would have a kiyum. And Dr. Lander told me that you have to envision things. And he said that don't see what it is today, but see what you could build it up into. Make it your dream to make it great. And he told me that when he was in his 50s, he had multiple jobs. He was holding down, he had a growing family, and he had a, he had a few jobs. He, was, he had something in, he was the head of the um, graduate program, I think, in Yeshiva University. And he was—he had a job working for Notre Dame University. He was on some presidential commission, and he, he was doing many things at once. And he was making, you know, salaries from all over the place. And they needed the income, but he had this dream for so long that he wanted to start a Jewish college or a college under Jewish auspices that would be able to be mechanich Jewish college-age students because all the colleges around the country were what he called um, the crematorium of American Jewry. Because many people were perishing spiritually in these colleges. And it's true. A person that goes to a... I think we all probably know, know friends from high school or from Eretz or elementary school that ended up going not to a Lander College and not to a, a yeshiva system program but to a co-ed college to a secular college and, and 
and neshamas are lost there. And Dr. Lander wanted to stop that from continuing. And he had this crazy vision. And people, Mamish told me he's crazy, literally. And maybe he was. He wanted to start this college in his 50s. In his 50s, it's, time, it's a time when people start looking towards retirement. And he wanted to start. And he said he came home to his wife. You have to understand what this means. He was going to quit all of his jobs. He was not going to have any income coming in. And he was going to have to incur deep amount of financial debt in order to start this nascent university, college. And he came home and his wife, if she would have said no, she would have been the voice of reason and it would have ended right there. He said, I came home and I told my wife that this is what my dream is. I'm going to quit all my jobs, I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket and I'm going to start a college under Jewish auspices and it's going to grow and it's going to spread and it's going to be a, a conduit of people being able to stay from and be mefanis, their family, the covid. And she told him, Bernie, that was his, his, his English name is Bernard, called him Bernie, Bernie, if this is your dream, then just do it. And I'm behind you. And he says he did that. He, he served notice to all the places that he was working. He severed all his ties. And he began close to 50 years ago. Turo College. And then about 16 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, he had what was really his machshav This institution that we're sitting in tonight, Lander College for Men, was really what Dr. Lander wanted, more than the medical schools and all the health sciences schools and the graduate schools, the law schools, and the, all these things are all to pay the bills for us, believe it or not. This was the machshav And if people thought that he was crazy when he started Turo, they thought he was really crazy when he wanted to build this campus. This lot, and I remember it myself from years ago when I used to be learning in Queens, this whole square block from the front of Yeshiva on 150th Street all the way to behind the Opal was a boarded up area. You were not able to enter this place because it was a swamp. It was literally a swamp. If you would get, if you would, let's say, climb over the fence, you would never be seen from again because you would, you know, be swallowed up in these, in the, in the, in the mire and the muck of deep mud, and nobody thought that they could develop it. This is, a, this is imagine what this is. This property is not normal in New York City to have a, a whole square block of empty property, but it just goes to show how convinced everybody was that it was unbuildable land. This was a marshland. This was. This was purely swampland. Nothing could be built on it. And Dr. Lander bought it. He paid not so much money for it because nobody wanted it. And he hired architects and planners and, and they figured out a way to build at least on the perimeter of the property where it's a little bit more solid. Although it's sinking, if you look, when you come into the building, you'll notice the building is slightly sinking. 
I hope that you know it's still going to be up before I retire. <laughs> Once I retire, I could do whatever. No, um, but um, and I don't know even if you could build on the on the like where the baseball field. I'm not sure. But people, neighbors in the neighborhood, say that they remember when they were building this building. They had this like loud boomerang sound throughout the whole na- throughout the whole Kigarn Hills because they they had to shoot these these huge steam beams, steel beams straight into the ground like as deep as they could in order to make some sort of a foundation in the swamp. People thought he was absolutely not. You can't build on this land. And then once he convinced them they could build, he said, but we have to borrow money to build this property, to build this campus, this state-of-the-art beautiful building that we're in. It was, I think, a $40 million investment. And he had to. He took out a bond from a New York City bond. He had to float at a high interest rate. He was so sure that this is. And they were literally. I, I've spoken to people that were in the board meeting when this happened, and the imamish like Kimat were like wrestling him to the ground to stop this insanity to incur forty million dollars. At the time, Turo was struggling as it was, and you're building this built. It's crazy. It's an act of insanity. It's lunacy. But he persevered and he pushed forth until he had this property, and and that's what we're living in. We're living mamish in a dream. We're not living in a building. This is a dream. This is like a mirage that we're in, and it's a testament to when a person who wants to have a goal in life don't be miyayish. There are many people that said to him, it's the Dachayayna. And he could have listened to them. If he, was, if he was like you and I, he would have been affected by them. He would have been afraid of what they're saying and he would have taken it to heart and he would have stopped the project. It's Dachayayna, let's flip it, we'll make some money on it and let's, let's, let's call it a day. But he persevered and then he built schools in Rome and in Germany, and in Russia, and in, in Florida, and in California, and in Canada, wherever he, wherever he could find a Jewish community, he would build so that there would be some stability. And that was his dream. His dream was Kul L'Shem Shemayim. Now what does this have to do with Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? This is a, this is a shmuz that we could give it, Hanukkah and Purim, and Pesach, What's the shaykhis to the Yom Nairam? This is an Aserah Semit Shubatish. On Yom Kippur we say a special Nusach and Tefillah that we don't say any time throughout the year. We say the Nusach of Kiata Solchan Li Yisrael. You are the person, you are the being that grants forgiveness to Kla Yisrael. Umachlan the shifte yeshurun bechaldar vadar, and your meichel the shifte yeshurun, the tribes of Klal Yisrael, every single generation. What does this mean? We never call Klal Yisrael the shifte yeshurun. Call them Klal Yisrael, Mekadesh Yisrael v'Azmanim. Do we say Mekadesh shifte yeshurun v'Azmanim? Why in Yom Kippur do we speak about the shifte yeshurun? The Meshachachma says that there's two Averis 
that Klal Yisrael did early on in their history that we're still living with the ramifications at Hayyim. We've never really completely shaken off the consequences of those two heinous crimes. One is a crime, Ben Adam Lamakim. That was the Chet Egel. But HaKadosh was Seleachas to a certain degree. We still have to make up for it. That's Kiata Salchan Yisrael. You are Michael Klal Yisrael. But also Machon Lashifte Yeshur and Bechal Darvadar. There's an additional crime that Klal Yisrael committed, and that was the Chet of the Mechiras Yisef. That the Achim sold Yisef. This is what we read about on Yom Kippur itself. In the, when we speak about the Asaruge Malchus and the, the reason why the Asaruge Malchus were killed was because they were, they were being tried for a crime that they didn't commit. And that was the crime of the Mechiras Yasef. Ten brothers selling Yasef, ten martyrs that were going to be killed as a result. Every generation, part of the Mechila of Yom Kippur involves the Cheta Egel, and part of the, the Kapar of Yom Kippur involves taking off a little bit of the stain of the Avera of Mechiras Yasef. How did Mechiras Yasef begin? Yasef had a dream. Yasef had several dreams, two dreams. And the brothers were jealous. And the brothers said, Look, the dreamer's coming. What were they doing? They were making fun of, Ye- of Yasef HaTzadik's dreams. Yasef HaTzadik had a dream of being a Moshel. He was destined to be a leader. He was destined to greatness, and yet the brothers didn't respect his dreams. They called him the dreamer, they called him the Dachayayna, they threw him into a pit, they sold him for a pair of shoes. This is what you do to a dreamer? Your brother has a dream, let him dream. For crying out loud, what are you dashing his dreams for? Let him be a dreamer. And because the Achim, with whatever their Cheshpan was, dashed the dreams of Yasef or attempted to do so we're still paying the price till today so Yom Kippur when it's a day of Machel Neshif to Yeshua and it's a day that we have to remind ourselves that we have to dream we have to be like Yasef have a dream make a dream for yourself if you don't have one until now get one because if you don't have a dream for Klal Yisrael then that's a chayteh What's your dream? What's your vision? If somebody shakes you and wakes you up in the middle of the night, what's your vision for Klai Yisrael? What are you going to say? Are you going to have an answer or are you going to stammer? We have to have dreams and we have to let other people's dreams shine as well. And that's what Yom Kippur is all about. Yom Kippur is a day, that's tshuva. Shuva is, I dream of a brighter tomorrow. I have a Kabbalah al What's your Kabbalah al The Kabbalah is, I'm going to be great. Tafshanayin Zayin is going to be a great year. It's a year that I'm going to learn a Masechta. I'm going to Chazar Masechta. 
I'm going to join an organization, I'm going to start an organization, I'm going to feed the poor and hung, I'm going to, I'm going to do amazing things in Tavshanai and Zion. Or if I'm not going to actually do them, I'm going to plan so that when I get older and more mature and more established, then I will put into reality the dream that I have today. But you have to dream. That's tshuva. Tshuva is the dream of seeing yourself as somebody bigger than you are. Not putting yourself down always. Not always saying, this is who I am. This is what I am. I'm mediocre. I was born mediocre. I'm going to die mediocre. I'm a chayte. This is what I do. I speak Lashon. I'm always going to speak Lashon. I watch these things and I'll always watch these things. This is who I am. Leave me alone. You're a chayte if you say that. Not because of the sin per se, but because how could a human being not dream of a better tomorrow? The biggest crime that a person can do is when he doesn't allow himself to dream. When I came to Yeshiva 15 years ago, it was a dream. And so much of the dream has been fulfilled. Baruch Hashem, you come into the base Medrash and you hear the roar in Kol I was just talking to my wife just on Rosh Hashanah and I was reminiscing with her about the first Yom Kippur that we came I started in in El and Yom Kippur there wasn't going to be a Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah I think maybe there was before I came but Yom Kippur there was not going to be Yom Kippur I said how can you have issue without Yom Kippur so I remember of a Parnas who should be well and I I convinced him to come, which was a big fetish. He was already a man in his in his eighties, I believe, and he was. But he came, and I came, and and we made a made him kipper, and it was um, you know today. It would be shocking if you'd come in and yom kipper and see what it looked like. It was literally you could have five tables to yourself, five big tables to yourself. Maybe we had two. We had, we had, we had, we had maybe, we had maybe 20, maybe 20, 25 people davening Yom Kippur tops, and I think I might be exaggerating. I was, I, I remember I daven, I daven Nila every year, and that first year was like, it was halushes, like it was no one backing me up, it was like, you know, you try, you wait for a guy, ah, 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 ah. nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, and then I said to my wife, like, you come in today to to, to yeshiva on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and you mamish can't move. You mamish, there's not a single square tile available. You have to like get in with a shoehorn. It's amazing. I mean, it, it's you know, it's you know, the new guys that come, you think it was uh, it was always like this from from day one, but it wasn't. It was. It's an amazing thing within 15 short years how. How things have have blossomed and, and flourished because of Dr. Lander and because of the wonderful Hanhala that we have and because of the wonderful Talmidim that we've had and that we have. There's one 
part of the dream that I had when I came that's still unfulfilled. And it's good. You should always have dreams that are unfulfilled because... But maybe you can help me out a little to fulfill it. There's one thing that I believe is missing from yeshiva. It's a certain degree. I'm not saying it's completely absent, but I think that it could be so much better. And that's the achtas in yeshiva. It's not our fault. I guess it's inevitable to a certain degree because there's so many different shiurim and there's so many different majors and there's so many different chevras and there's so many different dorms and there's so many... It's not a... I guess it's not a perfect cohesive environment. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, my son goes to a camp in the in the country every summer... It's called Camp Rayim, and but it's you know I'm sure it's not different than any of the camps that you went to. And you know he shows me the videos at the end of the summer, and it's you see like you know at the last night or whatever the last week of camp they have this camp sing, and they have like this this really tear jerky type of song, and uh, and and the guys like they teach it to the guys and like. We are Ray and brothers, na, 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 na. and like, and the guys there are. You see the video, and they're like bawling. They don't want to go home. They love camp so much that they just want to stay there forever. And they're like, they're hugging, they're swaying, you know, together with a song, and they're they're such achdas, and it's such a beautiful thing. That would be my dream for our yeshiva. To make that cohesiveness. Where I went to high school, it had that. I knew every single guy in yeshiva's name. I knew their 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 mother's maiden name. I knew how many <laughs> siblings they had. I knew I, I knew I, you just knew it. It was one family. I don't know how they did it. I don't know, but it was it was just there was a certain achdus that I don't think we have in this yeshiva. Not because we're mean, bad people and we don't, we're, not, we're trying to you know, be at odds with one another. We're not. A lot of it is timing. A lot of it is, is lack of opportunity. A lot of it is... But I wish that somehow we would be able to be misachid. We're all yeshurin. We're all kulanu... We should want to stay here for Shabbos every week. Okay, sometimes we have pressure, we have to go home. Sometimes we have a simcha, we have an afraf. But I wish that Shabbos was geschmack. I wish that guys wouldn't feel like they have to run away for Shabbos. I wish that they would feel like this is where I want to be for Shabbos. This is where I want to be Rosh Hashanah. This is where I want to be Yom Kippur. It's not like Simchas Tyre I want to speak about for a minute. If Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur have 600 people in the base Medrash, shouldn't Simchas Tyre have at least 300? Why is it that you have to twist people's arms and break their kneecaps in order to get them to even remotely consider coming for Simchas Tyre? 
The food is delicious here. We have drushes. We have dancing. We have singing. It's Lebedic. It's Geschmack. It's your yeshiva. Why are you going to Piscataway, New Jersey for Simchas You know, because there's like a, a minion that's a mace mitzvah that needs your help. What about us? We need your help. <laughs> We're also, consider yourself a Chayach Kaidman. Shouldn't you want to? Shouldn't you want to? I don't understand. Do you know that I would, I wouldn't miss Simchas Taira and the yeshiva that I was in if you paid me all the money in the world? Why shouldn't we all be like? Why? Why should you have to have a sign-up sheet? It should be like, of course I'm coming to yeshiva Simchas Taira. Where, where else should I be? I mean, you know, if your parents insist that you're home, you know, Simchas Taira, okay, you shouldn't fight with your parents. But let's say they don't. Obviously, they're giving you a, a, you know, my father used to call it an export license. They're giving you the ability to, you know, to leave home to go to all these, you know, other programs. What about coming to Beis Medrash Talmud for some Chastaira? Imagine if we'd have 200 guys dancing together. Can you imagine what that would make Yeshiva? Can you imagine how this would be, whatever it is on Rosh Hashanah Kippur, it could be a thousand times greater on some Chastaira? Dancing with the Tyra in the room that you learned Tyra the whole year? Why is it that, that we have to even have a Havamina not to come back from Chastaira? Okay, you're out of town, you made your tickets already, I know all the, all the Tyra. But at the end of the day, if you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna really be a part of the yeshiva and make your yeshiva your yeshiva, come for some Chastaira. Shabbos, Yantif, Chanukah, Purim. When there's a vad, if there's a, a tish, if there's a shirklali, if there's a, a shmuz, if there's drink it up. But you think this is you think this is going to be forever? You can play. You think you're gonna? You know how many guys come to me? I would say ninety percent of alumni come to me after they graduate and say, Rabbi, I owe you a big mechila because when I was in yeshiva, I don't think that I I, I took you seriously enough, and I didn't come to things enough. And I and I, I live to this day, and I regret. I'm not. I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm saying it because if I don't say it now to you, then you're going to also come to me later with that taina on yourself. I really believe what I'm saying. I don't have an exact plan how to implement it, and that's up to you. Like everything else is up to you. If it has to be Balkarcha, it's not going to happen. It has to be Berotzin. It has to be that we come together in a consensus, in an organized group, together. Without any Rebbeim, without any Ariel, without any student government, just together. And we come and we, we're Misasif Yachad and we say, let's do this special. We do so much in yeshiva. We have such a tish, such a beautiful tish. Aseret Mechuva, we have it. We have it. Tubeshvat, we have it. Chanukah, we have it. Purim, the shack. We have it in Lag Ba'imer, we have a bonfire outside. Come! And I know that I'm preaching to the choir. Obviously, you're here. But I'm, so I'm not talking to you then. I'm talking to all the guys that are not here. If we have 60 guys in this room, 80 guys, whatever it is, I don't know, I'm probably doubling it. 
But, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, shouldn't it, where are the other 120 guys that are officially matriculated here? I want to know, really, where are they? What are they, what are they doing that's more important than this? What are they doing? Where are they? You know what the answer is? They're not doing anything. But they don't feel... They don't feel bound to the yeshiva enough. They don't feel that this is their home. They're using the yeshiva like a gas station. You come in, you have no affinity to any gas station. Whenever you need gas, you pull into a gas station on the highway and you fill up your car with gas, you go weiter. And that's how they look at yeshiva. And maybe they're not wrong because maybe we're not doing enough to make it homey enough, to make it geschmack enough. This is how you grow a yeshiva. And this is something that I think is the last remaining part of the dream that has not yet been fulfilled. We've graduated amazing guys every year, guy, and they go off and they, we get tremendous nachas, rabbonim and rosh yeshivas and, and professionals and, and organizational people and amazing b'nai taira through and through. But I think the one remaining, the last frontier, the final frontier to really perfecting the dream is perfecting the shifte yeshurim, perfecting our achdus, caring about one another, encouraging the other person to dream, and having other people encourage our dreams. This is my dream. And if we can make it our dream, then I think it will be this yeshiva will be the greatest yeshiva in the world. I think that's the one remaining thing that remains to be done. That's the Makkah That It's great, the yeshiva, but it could be super great. Never laugh at somebody else's dreams. Especially not your own dreams. Let's foster one another's dreams. Let's encourage it. And let's make Yeshiva the great place that it's destined to be.